Every legend is based on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween Sits, the origin of Michael Myers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 71 of the Seatstruck Movie Podcast. My name is John, and joining me today is Curtis. How's it going, man? It's going pretty well, man. Great to be back, and uh, great to kickstart the new year full of exciting new podcasts and oh finish God, our yeah. uh, Halloween series, too. Yeah, it's been a well, I guess for your listeners out there, like if you've been listening along regularly, maybe this seems seamless, but for us, it's atypical. We took a pretty big break. I think it's been about three weeks since we last chatted together. We took the holidays off. Um, I, I know myself, I watched a lot of movies during the holidays, so I have a lot to talk about. I'm probably not going to talk about all the stuff I watched this week. I'll probably save some of it for, for next week and maybe have a bit of a backlog going. But uh, yeah, it's good to good to see you again, Curtis. Quinn, unfortunately, isn't here today, but he'll be back uh, for our next episode. So yeah, we got a lot of stuff coming up uh, this new year in 2023. Uh, we are going to be, of course, starting a new watch series uh, talking Ridley Scott films. So that'll actually be the topic for next week's episode. However, because we just previously in october we did a bunch of the halloween films we talked um a bunch of the halloween sequels and we also talked all the way up to episode or halloween number five technically there is one more of the classic i guess the thorn trilogy halloween films which is halloween the curse of michael myers the titling for these movies always confuses me there's like the return the revenge uh the curse there's a lot of taglines they're hard to follow but this is the sixth movie of the series uh which had a bit of a gap from the last one this one was released in 1995 um distributed by dimension films kind of a fascinating movie in the context of horror as a genre you know the like the early 90s was really kind of like a down period for like horror films there wasn't a lot of classics that were really coming out in kind of the middle years of the 90s and this one came out in 1995 a year later, of course, we would get Scream, also released by Dimension, and that really kind of changed the entire kind of horror slasher, um, you know, realm. It feels like if you look at the whole slashers of the last fifteen years, Scream is kind of the launch point for like a whole style of kind of new neo neo yeah. slashers and that sort of thing. And well, it's you, kind you of weird to think that a year before Scream there was a six Halloween movie coming out. It's kind of weird because all of the Fridays and, and nightmare movies, they did have some entries that came out in the early nineties, but they didn't really continue on that long. They kind of, yeah. Well, even like new, new nightmare, point. new nightmare had that kind of meta commentary too, that we see in kind of scream too. So, I mean, there was kind of like a prototype scream there too, which is That's interesting. True. It's actually Wes Craven's first last movie before scream. If I, if I'm recalling correctly, it's kind of like a proto dry run to that movie. Um, so I've always, I've never watched this before. This was my first time watching this movie. I've been fascinated. And actually this was, I recall this one. I don't know if I remember this one actually coming out. I was, I was a little bit too young. My first Halloween that I remember coming out in theaters was 
Halloween H2O, but I do remember this one being out like for rentals and this was like a big movie Blockbuster to rent in like the late nineties when I was a kid. So I never I never watched it though. As I mentioned on the start of these pods, I grew up not really a Halloween guy. I watched my parents had the first one on tape, so I watched it at some point. I watched the third one and then I watched Resurrection some point <laughs> in the two thousands. I think my mom rented it from Blockbuster. So that will be a kind of a fun one to revisit. But um maybe we'll do maybe we'll do it. I don't know. I'm a little bit apprehensive of doing like, Yeah, we could like do all, all three in stuff. one or something. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked enough like kind of crappy Halloween sequels or yeah, you Halloween know, crappy kills. to some <laughs> better to others, but we're gonna be talking Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Before we do, um, as we always do, uh, we'll start off talking first hour watch list, talking new entries to our watch list. And actually, um, I don't think it's on this week's episode, but I actually watched finally one of my old, my oldest watch list films. So I was able to do that last week. Very excited about that. But we're going to start off talking new entries to our watch list. So Curtis, anything new that you've added that you're interested in checking out? Yeah, so I had a couple to add to my watch list. I tried to kind of keep it down to three um too so i watched a pam greer film uh, over the holidays too because i love pam greer and one of the films was inspired by the defiant ones and this is a 50s uh i think it's black and white film it's Sidney poitier and uh tony curtis and they're tied together in this kind of southern chain gang so it's really interesting they have to work together and it's about kind of uh you know it's an allegory for like you know you know racial uh, reconciliation too and um it's kind of a classic film i think i've seen bits and pieces of it but never the full movie so I added that to my watch list. Um, and actually, I, I added one to my watch list uh, based on one of your recommendations. Oh, nice. Uh, so I've been I've been deep diving into the Friday the 13th sequels, too. Nice. And uh, I watched a couple of them this week, which I'll talk about. But uh, I think you recommended Friday the 13th Part 6, too, and Jason Lives, too. And yeah, there we go. He has the, the big collection there. Very nice. I haven't opened it up too. yet. I haven't <laughs> opened it up yet. But it's got, well, I think... Uh, Something like 40 hours of bonus features. So I'm very lots excited. Of, lots, it's of, shout, lots of Jason. I'm holding the Shout Factory Blu-ray set. This thing is, I got it on sale, but it's it's a little bit expensive. But if you can swing it, it's the definitive way to watch all the movies. They should put, they should put uh, Pam's head on there or something too. <laughs> I, guess, um, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. I don't know if they want to like spoil the kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> I guess it's one of those spoilers that everyone knows. Another Scream reference, you know, mentioned in Scream that whole Pam Voorhees. Plot, yeah, plot, plot device, yeah. And the game I was playing too, the Friday Thirteenth Killer Puzzles, which is free on Steam, yeah. really fun. And they have Pam's head always like saying, "Don't worry, Jason, you can kill the police officers or like whatever." But why did why did you recommend this one in particular? Because I I remember you had suggested. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I, uh, for those of you listening at home, if you, we, I can't wait. One day we're gonna do a, a Friday watch series, and like I could probably talk every movie for hours. Like we probably have to get some guests too, because I I love the I love the Friday movies. The Friday movies. The first four are kind of make up sort of the classic run of the movies where each one, it was kind of like, this is going to be the last film. And when they released the fourth movie, they were kind of like, the movie is sort of, this is the end. Jason's dead. It's over. However, it actually wasn't the end. They wanted to keep making these movies. Paramount made Halloween five or sorry, um, Friday, the 13th part five, which I'm excited because I'm going to watch that next week at, at the theater. That one's one when it came out, kind of it's very similar to like kind of like Halloween three. I don't want to say too much because it's kind of a spoiler, but that one had very negative reviews. It's kind of started to gain a little bit of more of an appreciation over the last few years, but that one wasn't very good. But Hall uh, Friday the thirteenth part six came out and that one was kind of uh, also a little bit of a meta movie too. It kind of goes back to Crystal Lake. It introduces a character from the past movies and it kind of introduces the idea of like Jason being rather than some hulking guy, like an actual paranormal, like demonic mm. entity. And it's considered by most to be 
the best of the sequels. I know a lot of fans would rate it up pretty highly. If you look mm-hmm. at any like ranking of the lists, it almost always finishes in the top three of the best movies. Yeah, because so. I know it's like in the later ones too. He does a lot of like teleporting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no yeah. way he climbed the ladder so fast. It's just like some some Voorhees teleportation. Oh yeah, once we talk <laughs> this movie, I mean, fuck, Michael Myers took a chip out of Michael uh, J- Jason's block in this one because he's, <laughs> he's teleporting everywhere. He's got some like. God, he's got God mode turned on on his PC yeah. console or something. I don't know. Fatality, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah, so I'm, I'm keen on looking at that one, too. And the final one I have is uh, just looking through the Shutter Fair. And uh, there was one called Bur- Burial, which is, you know, kind of, it sounds like one of those hammy movies. It's like a group of uh, World War II allies, and uh, they're going to fight some werewolf Nazis or something. <laughs> it's called Burial. It came out this year, I think. It's Shutter exclusive. And Tom Felton, who plays Draco Malfoy, is in it too. So I'm always interested to see his other performances too. I saw him in um, one of the Planet of the Apes movies, and he played an asshole. Oh, really? Uh, maybe he's oh, good yeah, playing he's, assholes. He's the damn dirty ape guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, you're not Charl- Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those are my uh, my three picks for the watch list. What about you, John? Cool, cool. Yeah, so I have uh, I have three on, on my list as well. Um, the first of these, uh, one that came recommended from a podcast I listened to, The Important Cinema Club. Um, this one is called The Villainous. Uh, it was released in 2017, directed by, probably going to butcher the name, uh, Jung Byung Jil. Um, this one tells the story of a young girl who's raised as a killer um, in the Yanbian province of China. She hides her identity and then travels uh, to South Korea, where she hopes to live a quiet life but becomes involved with two mysterious men this one's kind of interesting it's very described very similarly in the same vein as something like uh kill bill or john wick it's kind of this uh you know woman focused story and it has like this like revenge very kinetic violence but notably it's actually large sequences of it are shot um if not wholly i think it's it's shot in first person so think like that kind of movie hardcore henry where it's sort of first person guns akimbo style so it's done in that way so i've heard very good things about it it's got some really thrilling action sequences so excited to kind of get into that film um another one i have on my list uh this is a pretty famous film and actually i know this is one that um speaking about kill bill which was cited as an influence behind kill bill which is female prisoner number 701 scorpion by uh, shunya ito so this is actually i believe the first of a series of these scorpion films um if you're like one of our folks listening at home who pretty much only watches disney or something uh you're probably not going to watch this (laughs) one because it's pretty horrible like exploitation prison uh movie heard it's pretty hard to watch um but when this one came out in, in I believe, yeah, 1972, this one became a very kind of popular cult, like Midnight Movie, and as I mentioned, had a big influence on a lot of genre filmmakers. Um, this one tells a story about a woman who's sort of set up and imprisoned in a woman's prison uh, that's staffed seemingly wholly by like sadistic and horny male guards, and the man who actually betrayed her and set her up um, is now plotting her death from outside the prison. So it's supposed to be very intense. And I believe it's actually, I think you watched it either on Shutter and or on Arrow Video. So I'm going to try to check that one out at some point soon. And the last one on my list is by a pretty famous director, the Finnish director, uh, Aki Karsmaki. Um, this is actually one of uh, his most recent films, or this actually might still be his most recent film uh, from 2017, which is The Other Side of Hope, uh, which tells the story about a local restaurateur who befriends um a Syrian refugee who's arrived in, in Finland. And um, this one is sort of like a little bit of a comedy, but kind of like a very human feeling comedy um, that, you know, does kind of delve into the idea of like refugees living in Europe and 
um, trying to integrate with like local cultures. And this one, of course, is, you know, at Kors Mackie being one of Finland's most celebrated popular contemporary directors really focuses on this guy um, in, in Finland. I don't know exactly remember what city uh, he's in, um, but this one actually also got some pretty nice buzz when it came out in 2017. It actually won, I believe, uh, the Silver Bear, which is the best director award at the Berlin Film Festival. So um, had some pretty good reviews. I've heard it's a pretty funny film, but it's very real and it's not afraid to kind of go in kind of darker places, but also kind of treat it seriously. And I actually want to start watching more of the Kairos Mackie films because I know um, he's he was a pretty influential figure um, from a lot of like kind of the Sundance kids that came in that he kind of kind of emerged around that same time, albeit from Europe, um, with some films that I know a lot of the directors that I like from that kind of core Site as being uh, referential and and ones they like, so want to get more into his films because he's had a lot of good ones uh, come out. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it for my watch list. I guess we can then get into now what we watch this week. I've got a lot of stuff to talk about, folks, and I'm sure Curtis does too. So Curtis, why don't you kick it off? What did you watch? Yeah, so I'll uh, I'll dive into those uh, Halloween Friday Thirteenth sequels. <laughs> um, so I the first one, well, I kind of watched them out of order, but I'll start with the. Uh, the one I liked the most was uh, Friday the 13th Part 7, Jason Takes Manhattan. And this movie gets shit on a lot. I think it's one of the most hated entries in the canon. And for the, I think the main reason is that he actually doesn't spend that much time in Manhattan. It's like it's last, mostly like, on a 20... boat, yeah. Yeah, it's on a boat. It's just mostly like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Jason kills the booze cruise or whatever. Yeah, and, but, and Manhattan, uh, by the way, of Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of Manhattan looks like Vancouver. And I think a lot of it, like, too, like the... There's like a rooftop boxing match, which is pretty cool. That <laughs> doesn't last very long, but like I don't know, it had a lot of interesting stuff to it too. You know, they had that rooftop boxing scene. They have the scenes that they do show in New York are really great too. You know, when he's in Times Square and the punks try to, you know, fuck with them, he takes his mask. Yeah, off. he like he lifts his mask, mask up, and they're like, they're like, what the <laughs> fuck, bro? Yeah, and, and and then he has like this like there's like a really cool subway chase too, which I thought was really good. And then they have that scene at the end where somehow they end up in the sewer system, and there's like toxic waste, and the the sewer guys like. Like oh yeah, 10 p.m. tonight. This Every night like... we like <laughs> we release like, like hydrofluoric acid through the sewers. <laughs> There's gonna be like... a mutant alligators and like <laughs> if you don't get out, you're gonna like dissolve. <laughs> like... I've always I've always liked this movie. Like as a kid, I remember because yeah. I watched it when I was young. I always I, it's a very campy movie and um it's an interesting it's every, movie it's too. A, it's everything you, know? you want from 80s like Jason. You know, it's kind of the last like pre Juliana Giuliani era like New York mm. movie where it's like New York <laughs> is like this high Scu- of scum Scu- and villainy. Scuzzy. You can like feel the scuzz in your fingers, and then yeah, you, you like, get the opening scene where the woman puts out her cigarette on the like egg. Yeah, and they're like, lighting the crack or the heroin or whatever. It's uh, it's kind of funny. Like five five years after this movie, Times Square was just Starbucks. Like all the porno stores were gone. You know, it really yeah, was kind of the no, end of the there's era. There's no CD porn theaters anymore. No yeah. taxi drivers. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Al Goldsmith I, was uh, was gone after this or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this. I think like obviously none of the characters were really fleshed out. They wanted to do a cut where they had more characters fleshed out. I think a two-hour yeah. cut would have been good. But, I mean, it's a Jason movie. You don't really care about the characters It's got a anyway. great theme song, too. <laughs> it does. It's got, like, this, like, really romantic... 80s, like... Yeah, ding, I'm like, did they, ding, did they even... Did Metropolis even, like... <laughs> like watch the movie you know i don't i don't know <laughs> yeah, like, it should be like in a like michael mann like movie or something like, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't fit at all like to live and die in la or something like it doesn't yeah fit. i'd be a lot better suited for that but i you know i i had a lot of fun with this a lot of the characters are fun you know they had this like joan jet rocker girl she only oh, makes right, 20 yeah. minutes in the movie and, and they had like you know some nerdy camera guy and like you know obviously they had the bitchy prom queen and and uh, I mean, I didn't care much for the main characters, and but they had a really do- nice dog in it, and that that boy was always disappearing, but he was a really good boy, and <laughs> and they have like some creepy, <laughs> some creepy like biology teacher slash like 
this girl's legal guardian. Yeah, <laughs> it's rude. Yeah, he's such water. a dick too. Like he's such an asshole. Yeah. And I thought what's really well done too is they have this I mean, obviously maybe it's not the most original idea, but it is a trauma narrative too, because she keeps she was like <laughs> attacked by a ch child like child uh Jason when she was thrown in the water as a child. So yeah, like, he just dumped her in the water. He's like, swim, swim, yeah, swim, She's, like, good luck. <laughs> and then like Jason's like grabbing on grabbing onto her. So I, yeah. it's kind of interesting too. I mean, the movie's kind of a mess, but I mean I had fun with it. I think that would have been a fun one to watch. I think when the blockbuster days too, when you could get like all the movies out, like take that one out, get beets, pizza and beer and watch it on Friday night. Wow. It doesn't get better than that. Especially yeah, on Friday the yeah. 13th. So, I actually watched it, it at the Mayfair for its anniversary. Yeah, it was oh, pretty man. Fun. It's going to be back in a few years when they, when they get to Friday the 13th again, but yeah, well, that, I think that's one of my favorite installments. So I really like that one. Um, and then I watched, uh, I also watched Jason X with <laughs> Jason 10, which I, I didn't like at all. But <laughs> that was, that was hot shit. But a lot of people reviews I was reading, they kind of see it as a kind of this, uh, you know, it's poking fun of itself too. So it's kind of a meta commentary, but, yeah, oh, I, but it's I think bad. it was kind of just a shitty movie. <laughs> that's that David Cronenberg in it is a doctor. So yeah. He lasts like all five minutes, the first five minutes. And uh, Jason, yeah. basically he gets cryogenically preserved for some reason. And then he ends up in space and kills everyone on a spaceship. And, uh, and then he like, turns into like the, the cyborg thing cyborg jason that you can't kill anyways so i mean uh that was good that was interesting but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's a terrible movie but... i've always been partial to that one because that one came that's that's the first jason that came out in my lifetime that i remember because oh, right, I, yeah. I was too I young seeing... for the final friday so i remember that coming out and i was a bud a burgeoning friday fan i was a young <laughs> kid and when that came out like that was my shit and i actually got for my parents a Jason X Halloween costume of like the Jason with like the cyborg mask and the outfit actually had like foam muscles. So you kind of look jacked. So I have a few pictures of me like wearing it and I look ridiculous and I don't think I still, I think I got rid of the, the costume. I wish I kept the mask though. Cause it was so goofy, but um, I've always been partial to it for that reason. But yeah, not the movie's pretty mid at some point we should do a, a Friday watch series. And, and yeah, talk, that'd be fun to do. That's a fun There's one so much to talk dissect. about. Yeah. My God. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the last one until uh, they had Freddie versus Jason and the, the horrible then, Friday 13th remake. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, then, and then now maybe we're going to get a show now that the whole lawsuit stuff Hopefully is settled. Good, uh, yeah. We might be getting some more Maybe Friday a can, stuff to Kane come. Hotter cameo or something. Oh, that would be <laughs> nice. Be yeah. I'm down yeah. for a Friday, the, a new Friday. Yeah. So, and then I watched. Uh, I love you know. I love how I feel about Pam Greer, the the goddess. So uh, I watched two of her films. One was good. One was not. Uh, I watched Black Mama, White Mama, which uh, came in nineteen seventy three. It's kind of. It's a really weird movie. It's like she's in some prison in like the Philippines or something for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing there. And it, it starts off as kind of you know that kind of cliche kind of women in prison thing. You know, like women are always have their tops off for some reason and like the the guards are all women and really horny for some reason yeah and uh basically the movie takes a turn and she breaks out of prison with um margaret markov so two super hot uh prisoners uh causing trouble and i don't um apparently it's inspired by the defiant ones which is why i added to my watch list too but they end up going all over philippines and then they're fighting the army and uh turns out that uh margaret markov's character is like some kind of radical activist or something i don't know um it was okay it was kind of a mess um <laughs> but i did really like and this one was recommended by quinn um coffee which is great i loved it so much i'd want the poster too this is kind nice. of her big film you know um very similar to some of her other movies but i think it's just it's so witty you know you have this badass badass black woman you know is kicking ass too she she always plays a nurse for some reason and her family member her boyfriend or sister has some addiction or gets killed or something so um yeah i just had a lot of fun with it too really 
you know, tips a lot of the kind of racial tropes on their head too. And I think Pam Greer just has such a great charisma too. So I love the coffee. Thanks to Quinn for recommending that one. Uh, I also watched, uh, <laughs> so I had watched Encounters at the End of the World, the Werner Herzog film about him going to uh, um, uh, the South Pole, Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And last time I watched it was in the Mayfair Theater. I watched it on a double bill with um, this film called Mongol. And I had something in my eye the whole time. So I was very distracting watching oh, the movie. Sucks. <laughs> and I came back to it. I came back to it now and I watched it with my friends. And I don't think my friends really <laughs> enjoyed it. My girlfriend didn't like it that much. She's like, oh, oh I don't want to watch any more Werner Herzog. I'm like, well, that's fair. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it too. And yeah. it really, you get so many eccentric personalities in, in, uh, in Antarctica too. And I think this really captures that sense of community too. You know, you have this one woman and she can like fold herself into a bag. And there's oh, wow. another guy who lives with penguins and he has kind of this bird voice. And like There's a weird dog that stares yeah. at people that you know disappears yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a you know there's this weird bearded guy who always drinks uh, yeah pouring his beverage <laughs> on the computer when he's losing he's got a flame his chest sometimes <laughs> so, so yeah it, it's it's a fun one too so if you're just in antarctica too came out 2007 oh. so a few years ago really beautiful uh underwater scenes too they look at all the kind of weird life underwater too and um, very interesting world and the last one i watched uh this one was a bit disappointing i watched the pale blue eye which just came out on netflix this with christian bale lucy boynton whole all-star cast basically oh that's the new um, netflix one about edgar Allan poe right yeah he, he's in it it felt very shallow and i was very disappointed with it oh. actually the, the twist at the end was like oh really <laughs> and then it was just so obvious and then they have another twist in it which was a little bit better but uh, Christian Bale plays this detective investigating this case. So they keep finding these men with uh, that are hung and then they have their organs removed too. So they think there's some black magic or something. And uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, plays one of the, the uh, soldiers in the kind of um, the army. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even think they need to have Edgar Allan Poe in it too. I mean, I didn't really know what the film was trying to do and it just felt disappointing. Looks great. It's great atmosphere, but just very slow burn and, not much happens and i don't think the payoff is really that great either so i think you could probably yeah. skip that one but uh i mean uh christian bale's acting is always really good too and, and it looks great so oh, nice. what did you what did you watch this week yeah so i watched a lot so as mentioned i'm, pro I'm gonna save more of the stuff i watched for next week just because i've got way too much crap yeah, me to talk too. <laughs> about but uh, um so I i've split i think i've got some stuff for next week and i think i'm actually running out of stuff for next week so i have to talk about the rest of it the week after so i'm gonna have to maybe write down some notes mm -hmm. so i don't forget everything but um yeah during the holidays i had some time of course um around early in the holiday season i think this happened i love to watch these netflix documentaries when i'm like <laughs> half asleep on the couch at like 2 a.m or if i'm very hungover or, or baked, they're like really or great to watch yeah they're like sometimes <laughs> if you want to watch something really dumb so i threw on i watched this over a period of of um of days i watched the netflix documentary series pepsi where's my jet which is a, a story about a young man um and and his friend I, i'm trying to actually remember the guy's name uh let me get let me get the cast um uh this this is 20 year old guy named john leonard um and he had the, he has this friend who's this kind of older guy kind of a mentor his name is uh um i believe uh uh michael or i might be getting that wrong too many too many names too many characters in this damn movie uh but <laughs> uh uh they're the, the, this kid finds out this he watches this commercial on tv which says like pepsi's gonna have this contest where we're gonna give you pepsi points so if you buy stuff you earn points and the end of the commercial shows this jumbo jet landing and like all the kids outside in the, in the commercial like whoa this is jet lands and it says i think one million points but there's no fine print or anything and so he watches it and he's like i'm pretty sure they're advertising this as like a real thing and so he contacts his like business friend his partner buddy and um 
they're like, yeah, but you know what? They, we look through the commercial. There's no fine print saying otherwise. They find like a pamphlet at one of the local stores that doesn't have the jet listed, but doesn't say anything about this contest. So they say, you know what? Let's do it. So it, it kind of tells a story about him and his partner who kind of set up this whole business plan to, you know, get the 1 million points so that they can actually get a jet. And it kind of tells the story about them getting the points. And then it tells the story from like this perspective of like the, the Pepsi advertisers of how they created the ad. And then, the response that happened once this kind of ended up becoming like a public battle. Um, I found the series good in a way, but like a lot of these dead Netflix documentaries, it's like this could have been told in like the, 30 the minutes. Sleeve, and it's, the sheen, yeah. And pretty, pretty bad. There's this whole section because notably this was a case that the uh, now disgraced lawyer, Michael Avenetti, you know, the former Trump character guy, uh, he <laughs> um, was part of this case. And there's a whole episode interviewing him from like house arrest. And, um, I guess you're supposed to like like the, the documentary talks about how he's kind of a scumbag. And yeah, I don't think it's really morally correct to interview this guy. He's a piece of shit mm. who, yeah. who, who, who's, who's, you know, really betrayed people and done some pretty shady things. Yeah, and, it's letting people down too. And like, I don't know if it's really great to give him a whole episode. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really add anything. And I, I found like all the characters involved kind of like slimy. I mean, they're all, mm. even when the guy kid says like, I didn't want to, I didn't want money. I just wanted the jet. It's like, dude, you wouldn't have done this if like, it was worth nothing. Man. Yeah, you're so. selling a smelling profit too. And I, I guess that it raises a really interesting ethical question too. Do you think Pepsi is kind of liable for it too, for actually having that kind of, I mean, in a way it is kind of false advertising, isn't it? You know, having Well, a- famously in Canada, when they aired the commercial, they actually added like a little just kidding underneath that yeah. like, the jet part. So part of like the, what happens as part of the lawsuit is he's like, well, why did you air it in Canada saying just kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, but why did you air it in the States saying not that? So um, it was kind of interesting in that way. Um, and but but like the story kind of doesn't really have a very solid ending. It kind of just ends, which I kind of found a little bit disappointing. But um, it, yeah. the first episode is probably the best. A lot of 90s nostalgia. We get some uh, interviews with all the Pepsi people. Um, I can't remember her name, but the uh, the model who was in all the Pepsi commercials, uh, she makes an <laughs> appearance in it. Um, so it's kind of fun to see uh, all the kind of famous people um, involved um, in that and all the kind of nostalgia and stuff but um, otherwise it, it wasn't really that great engaging but hey when you're when you're hungover or it's like 2 a.m and you're trying to watch something there are worse things to watch so i i did enjoy it for that regard um i also watched all the black christmases because uh the last episode we did talking black christmas i wasn't able i was supposed to go see the theater like right before and i missed it um, and we did the episode and then a few days later I went to the Mayfair to watch Black Christmas. Um, so I did want to kind of add a little bit of extra notes because I did watch it fresh. And I think it was uh, I was watching it with a crowd of mostly first time watchers because it was a big hit. Still, obviously, a great movie. Um, one of the things I found interesting is, you know, coming back to it is I think one of the reasons why Black Christmas, the 1974 film works so well is because it starts off very, you know, disturbing with that. Uh, we see the v- the POV shot of the killer kind of going into the house. And then we get, of course, the disturbing phone calls. And then, of course, we get mm-hmm. that really grisly first murder um, uh, that happens. And so, you know, the film kind of just like after that kind of just becomes like a comedy. Like it's like mm-hmm. following like the uh, Miss May- Mrs. May around and she's like sneaking alcohol in all the fucking books. And she's like, <laughs> oh, these, these broads would hump uh, the the, Mona, the the Leaning Tower Pisa if they could fit it or whatever. <laughs> like it's super funny, super campy. And then it like pivots back to horror. And I think it really works really well. Um, the film is so obviously centered on kind of like male, the threat of male violence. And even I, I was really paying yeah. attention to the part where um, the parents of the girl, um, I can't remember her name. I think it's Claire is the first girl killed. The parents 
um, her parents emerge because they're kind of like, you know, where's our daughter and kind of how the, how the women then react to the dad and how the dad's like, doesn't realize this is like a horny sorority house and they're drinking <laughs> and like doing drugs and they have to kind of like play a role with him. And I found that kind of interesting in the context of the other male characters in the film. And I was really struck by the supporting characters like Margot Kidder is Barb. I mean, what a great performance. And I, I, I mean, she plays Barb is obviously someone who's, you know, coping with, you know, severe suffering from obviously a lot of mental health issues, like she's drinking and getting into arguments and, you know, knowing Margot Kidder's own personal history, suffering from bipolar disorder, I can't help but read kind of a bit of a personal reading there that she probably put a lot of her own experience with bipolar and her own mental state into that role. And it's actually a pretty, uh, pretty intense. I think she does a really great job with it. And I was really touched mm. by kind of, I, I mean, I like Olivia Hussey as Jess, but she's kind of like a, a blank slate she doesn't really do a lot and it's really the yeah, other she... women that really give the movie a lot of character so i really i really enjoyed that coming back to it the crowd loved it it was i think it was my first time seeing it on the big screen so it looked beautiful sounded great and the audience seemed to be probably mostly 50 to 60 percent hadn't seen it before so some really nice reactions which was pretty good so some pretty good scares in that movie of course so um because i watched that most you know, the classic black christmas i felt compelled to watch for the first time the remake so i watched um First, I've watched the first remake, which is the 2006 uh, Black Christmas. I think this one was also distributed by Dimension, um, kind of in that era when a lot of like after Scream in the early to mid aughts, we had while, while we had kind of the torture porn genre emerging like Saw and Hostel, we also saw a big wave of kind of 80s throwback nostalgia movies like we had the texas chainsaw remake mm -hmm. and we had like the amity horror amityville horror remake we had all these wave of kind of like slasher remakes that came through we even got remakes of like nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th well i guess quasi sequel quasi remake kind yeah, of like I, me I remember thing. that too you'd always see these tv spots for the new texas chainsaw massacre remake and i actually really liked that one too so yeah me too i think it's pretty good i'm actually i want to revisit a lot of those movies because i remember as a kid really the liking them eyes, yeah and the critical i remember as a kid liking them and the critics hated them so i'm kind of interested to yeah, go back and see roger Ebert shit on the, <laughs> the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> and and black christmas might be another case of that because um i actually really loved this movie i thought it was it had first of all, it's shot on film. You could tell right away this doesn't look like a shitty Netflix movie. It looks like an actual movie movie. Um, it's very Christmassy, very the same kind of colors that you get with the last Black Christmas movie. Um, I really loved the cast. I thought it was a really kind of fun mix of who's who's. We have Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I really enjoyed um Andrea Martin comes back in this one. She was in the last movie. She plays Mrs. May in this one. I actually was surprised the way that some of the characters, you know, the, the kills that happen that you wouldn't expect. Who you think is going to be the final girls or the final girl is not who you think it actually is going to be in this movie. Um, this movie, I mean, it's mostly just kind of redoing Black Christmas a bit. It's about a group of sorority girls in this Christmas house staying there over the holidays while one of the friends, uh, you know, quote, quote unquote disappears to them. Uh, we know that she's killed and but the film actually more focuses a little bit on Billy and kind of him breaking out. of It's almost like Halloween four. It's like him breaking out of this prison and we get this we get a series of like flashback sequences that tells his origin story. And to me, it almost was almost like watching like a Tim Burton movie. Like it's almost like these twisted fairy tale style flashbacks. They're they're almost overtly Christmas campy, but they're really disturbing about how his, he was kind of abused, you know, physically and sexually by his parents and kind of grew up disturbed. And that's why he's the killer. Uh, notably, for some reason, he has like yellow skin, like a Simpsons character. I don't know why it was a weird <laughs> creative choice, but it made him look a little bit more menacing. And this one it was interesting because it had a lot more 
influence from like 80s slashers like the big bulking like jason kind of movies and i actually really love this movie i thought it was super creative campy gore effects i thought the story was really well paced it was genuinely pretty scary at times um and i, I thought it, it was a it lot quite, better i was like is it quite heighten the gore too i mean because it's, it's a quite a gory film yeah, definitely. And then it uses practical effects. So some of the kills are, are pretty oh, nice. fun. And it, once much like the last movie, I think the way it kind of uses the house geographically, like we don't we don't just have the rooms in the house. We have characters like going into the walls and it, like the whole house gets used as a space. And I thought it was really fun. I definitely want to check this out again and probably maybe buy this on Blu-ray because I thought it was a really fun movie. Definitely a lot better than I was led to believe. And um, I also watched, of course, the most recent remake, uh, the 2019 Black Christmas, which is Unlike the last two movies, is almost, I would just say, kind of a Black Christmas in name only because it's a much different story. It does focus on sorority girls, but this time it's about a, a young girl named Riley, played by uh, one of my favorite actress names, Emojin Poots. Um, so she plays <laughs> this young girl. We find out from the events of the movie that one of the boys on campus had raped her. And so she's kind of growing up. She's on this campus, but feels uncomfortable. This trauma happened to her. And uh, she has a, a group of friends. One of the friends is kind of like the, you know, the purple hair social justice warrior friend. He's like, <laughs> she's trying to start this petition against one of the professors on campus played by Carrie Ulis, uh, Cause he's, you know, like a misogynist and he's straight up playing like Jordan Peterson. Like he's basically like Jordan Peterson in this oh, movie. God. He's even like, quoting, Kill him like already. Kill him he's already. even, Camille, he's even quoting Camille Peglia in his like campus notes. He's oh. like, uh, and he's like, you know, some 12, people on campus find rules me... for falling life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, oh. some, some people on campus find me uh hard to, you know, he's playing, he's literally playing Jordan Peterson, much like David Duchovny in that craft legacy, even more. But so. I don't like, like, he's... I don't like binaries. <laughs> he even sounds a little bit like him, but anyway, so, these girls, they actually, it's a pretty fun scene. They have to do this kind of like um, this little play for the the frat boys. And they're supposed to do this little like kind of sexy Christmas number, like in skimpy clothes. And they kind of twist it around. So they're saying like, they're saying like the girls like accusing the guy of raping her. And they kind of do this song and dance. It's really funny, really, really cool. But then of course, a mysterious, scary shit starts happening. One of the girls hasn't showed up. That's the reason why they got her to do the number. She actually was killed by this kind of mysterious cult druid thing happening. And then that's where the movie kind of takes off. I thought the movie was actually a lot of fun. I, a lot of the people really were re really negative on this movie. And I can't help but think a lot of that once again is coming from people who have no patience for a movie that actually wants to kind of explicitly talk about you know modern kind of gender stuff around you know sex and and sexual violence and this is another classic entry into the exploitation canon because the the dialogue is straight out of twitter i loved it i thought it was a lot of fun i liked it a lot more than the craft legacy which i thought was kind of middling and kind of visually looked a little bit ugly this one has some really kind of fun stuff it actually the sequence where the kind of the killers emerge, I guess it's a mild spoiler, but it's, it, it felt to me a lot like you're next, like this kind of this home invasion aspect. And the movie kind of suffers a little bit because it was actually a PG film, I think PG 13 film. And apparently that was a creative choice by the director because she wanted the film to be watched by a lot of young girls because it kind of has a little bit of a didactic element of, you know, be careful on college campuses and, you know, you know, personal agency. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of that stuff. So I can, under, I can appreciate her wanting to make this, for kind of a younger audience. But at the same time, I would have loved, loved to see like an R-rated cut of this because there's a lot of stuff that looks gory and you think it's gory, but it's not really shot gory. Like we get like arrows to the heads, but there's no blood, you don't see anything. And um, that part of the kind of stuff um, was a little bit rough. And I found the ending was a little bit kind of rough as well too. Some of the writing um, was a bit choppy, but I did kind of enjoy it. I enjoyed kind of a modern take on Black Christmas. I think it's kind of cool that all these movies 
are you know black christmas in name but they kind of do different stuff with the the, the idea i like the idea of like black christmas is almost like this cultural generational anthology or something that people could come to and do something new with it's we're always going to get a new cohort of kids on campuses with their own you know particular set of you know issues and concerns so it's kind of cool to kind of get um i would love to see like a 2030 like black christmas or something what that would look like maybe that would be like a zoom yeah, horror fighting or jason x <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i would recommend anyone to check out all the black christmas movies i think they're all worth watching they're they're pretty fun and um i also watched another christmas movie this is a classic one that i know that i think you guys have talked about i've never seen it before which is a muppet christmas carol never watched oh, wonderful it before. wonderful and <laughs> i cry like a baby in this movie it's so beautiful michael kane acting his goddamn heart oh. out he's surrounded by goddamn puppets and he's bringing it the Kane is bringing it. The, He's the so good song, in this movie. The, the Humbug song. It's He's awesome. such a good Scrooge. And I, what I loved about him too is because he, he's in some ways the most nasty Scrooge. Yeah. But pretty much as soon as like the ghost stuff starts, he takes it seriously. And he's actually like having fun with it. As a character, I thought that was really fun because I find a lot of the Scrooge movies, sometimes Scrooge kind of takes a backseat to what's going on. And at the end of the day, it's, it's focused on his character and his growth. So it was kind of cool to really focus on him and his sort of relationship to what's going on. It reminded me a little bit of like the Alistair Sims Scrooge, where we kind of get a lot of that with his character in that one. And the music's great. I was really touched by the by the scene where we see uh, the Cratchit family with Kermit and Miss Piggy <laughs> and their kids. And it's a really sweet scene. And then we kind of come back to it in the Ghost of Christmas feature. And it's sort of the same scene mirrored again, but sadder. But in a way, it's still really heartwarming because it's kind of, you're meant to see it as sad. And, you know, the family's been struck by this tragedy but even despite this tragedy they're still trying to you know find something good and trying to have a nice family moment and god i was like crying like a little baby watching and i thought it was it was so beautiful and you know Bonzo i watched, on, too. I watched oh. it on christmas eve i was even more touched i was like really struck by it i thought it was just a really awesome movie um uh, can't believe i never watched it before i know people people grew up watching this movie i just never did i was i, a, I actually i was a muppet think... um treasure island kid i didn't watch oh this yeah i love i always find like the christmas carol and, and... Treasure Island, like those were, the, it's like a one-two punch in the nineties. Yeah. And I actually like those movies a lot more than the Jim Henson actual ones, which is probably quite controversial. But yeah, this I was a post Jim Henson film that Brian Henson yeah. directed, and I kind of feel like a lot of the heart of it comes from, you know, this being done so recently after his brother's death, and being like, I'm mm. going to make a movie that's really focused a little bit on death and, you know, the family and and our connection to each other. I was mm. kind of struck by that. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I find those like this one and Muppet Treasure Island to be very strong movies. Um, even more. Like I, I like, you know, I like like the Muppets take Manhattan and all that, but it's, it's not like some of those are a little bit like, you know, take them or leave them. They're not the, the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. But I really like the kind of genre stuff they work with in those. Um, I would love to see the Muppets come back with like another, kind like of a really good idea genre movie like the like dracula muppets or something i would love that like make, <laughs> make like a genre fair muppet yeah movie they always have that for like, adults don't they have like that muppet with the hood always they could have that muppet with the hood everywhere you know? yeah exactly that, that would be great Tours of the crypt that. or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i love how the streets in this movie of london are full of just like talking animals and fruits just like bouncing <laughs> around it's pretty great oh man i loved it and um also watched a few other things as mentioned i watched the entire twin Peaks series so i uh fortunately right when i finished the show they announced that the mayfair they're going to show twin peaks fire walk with me so i went and saw fire walk with me and uh yeah it's really good obviously i thought it was amazing it's David one of Bowie. my favorite lynch movies it's definitely the scariest lynch movie like i would say the the the, sec the second half of the film where it mostly focuses on laura palmer it's a straight up horror movie. It's pretty disturbing. 
pretty bad vibes, bad time, but I still loved it. I mean, God, Cheryl Lee was so fucking good in this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a crime that when this came out, not only was the movie derided critically, but people actually said Cheryl Lee's performance was bad. And I'm like, her performance is, is fantastic. Yeah, were, they, like, were they watching the same movie? <laughs> and, uh, but I could see why people wouldn't be into it because like hmm. so much, especially the first half, which is sort of like this, it's almost like doing like a redo of the original Twin Peaks where it's uh, Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland, these cops investigating this murder in like a nearby Washington town. And it feels like a little bit of a, you know, this ain't your kids, Twin Peaks, where, like, they go to the diner. It's like, can we have breakfast? It's like, we don't have breakfast here. We don't have any specials. Like, fuck off, basically. It's a little <laughs> bit. It feels like it's meant to Not be your as a Twin TV Beats, watcher. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're waiting for the tropes and the and the moments of the show, and it's, it's constantly kicking you in the face. I mean, the movie even opens up with a TV being, like, fucking blown up. It's like, you know what? If you thought the TV show was where it's at, if you wanted, you know, wow, this is some great cherry pie. If you thought you were going to get some, you know, jazzy score... No, you're getting none of this. This is Twin Peaks and the way it's meant to be scary, violence based on an actual murder of a young girl. And it's pretty disturbing. But also the ending made me cry. Like it's probably the saddest and most emotional ending in any of the of the David Lynch shit I've watched, at least maybe Inland Empire, like the credit sequence there. But I was really touched by this movie, but it's it's an exhausting movie. It's very brutal. If you're sensitive to fucking violence against women, then do not watch this yeah. movie at all. <laughs> probably best to pretty... not to watch any David Lynch films. But I, I, I thought it was great. And like, it was an awesome experience watching this in the theater. And then of course I had to watch. Um, so just for some context, when this movie came out on Criterion back in, I think it was 2013, 2014, um, David Lynch added a kind of almost like a small movie called Twin Peaks, The Missing Pieces, which is, about an hour and 40 minutes of deleted scenes from the original movie that no one had ever seen before, at least that I can think of. And they added it into that release. So if you're on the Criterion channel, you can actually watch it. And I watched it and I thought it was pretty great. It's It kind of works because, you know, Twin Peaks, while it has like a narrative, it's so kind of non-linear and disjointed that when you watch like a series of like deleted scenes and kind of order it actually kind of works as a movie so i I thought a lot of it was pretty fun to watch there's some actually really kind of fun scenes there's a scene where we get um the palmer family with leland presumably i don't want to spoil too much but leland the actual leland and they're they're there and they're having this little moment where he's like he's speaking norwegian to them he's like you know what the norwegians coming next week uh ben horn's gonna greet them with me we gotta learn some norwegian and it's a really funny family moment where they're speaking norwegian to each other and they're laughing and it was kind of a fun scene but i could see why they cut it because like it's a bit too humanizing for what we're gonna get in the movie um there's a famously a lot of there was a lot of tv characters that were supposed to be in firewalk with me that were cut out mm-hmm. so this one has like a dozen of the TV characters. There's a whole sequence and and story involving uh, Sheriff Truman and all the folks at the, the sheriff's office. They weren't in the movie, so I actually thought that scene was one of the weakest. The acting was a little bit weird and disjointed and kind of stilted, which I think works a little bit sort of thematically with the show, with you know Cooper coming to this town and kind of bringing light and joy with him to the town. He kind of infatuates everyone with his own personality and he kind of makes every he's almost like a christmas character he kind of makes everyone love each other a little bit more and like each other and uh, maybe that works there but it was really disjointed but there was some really good scenes there's that scene where laura palmer sees the the fan and you know she's kind of getting affected by the the black lodge spirit or whatever and it's really creepy um some really good stuff there i would say if you're a fan of the show if, if you like fire walk with me i would say definitely check out um this missing pieces little kind of a small film release of deleted and edited scenes and actually that actually ends with a 
extended scene from the end of the finale of the of the original series which was kind of cool so it kind of ties into that a little bit too which was kind of fun um i can't imagine anyone watching that show and then having to wait fucking 25 years for the next show and meanwhile <laughs> we only had me and my wife only had to wait like a week because we just watched it a week later on streaming so it was a bit of a different experience but um just to wrap things up because i'm going too long um we wanted to watch some stuff we recently, a few months ago, watched Donnie Darko, um, and we liked it, of course. And so we're like, you know what? Let's watch the little-known sequel, S Darko. Uh, and it's <laughs> S for shit, because it's the worst. It, I watched it on December like 30th. It just came in under the wire. The worst thing I've watched all year in 2022 is <laughs> so fucking bad. It's actually incredible how bad the movie is, because... You know, Donnie Darko is such kind of like a formless movie. It's a, it's a pretty much like laid back hangout movie with like creepy paranormal shit. And you can pretty much go anywhere you want to with a sequel. And this movie like does the worst way of doing a sequel. Like it plays it straight. It's so uncreative, unimaginative. It looks like shit. The performances are terrible. They brought back like the little girl from Donnie Darko to play the, you know, Samantha Darko. And she's just not a really great actress. Like she really struggles in this movie. The movie wants you to focus on her and she just can't really bring it. And it's it's a mess. Like it's clearly edited shit. Um, I believe Richard Kelly, the director of the original one, wasn't involved at all. So like none of his creative stylings were in the film it's it's really a mess it's really terrible like we were like we were 10 minutes in we're like this is yeah and and the original film doesn't really set up for a sequel either so it's like very you know very cash grabby (laughs) yeah and and the way it ends i don't want to spell too much but it's a shitty movie like the way it ends she's just like i guess i'll just go home it's like well you didn't have to go there in the first place why did you leave town (laughs) stay home none of this mattered (laughs) it was a waste of time like it's like donnie darko has consequences because donnie darko ends with you know his death well i guess spoiler but it has like an actual consequence to the ending yeah this one it's like and then we woke up like more or less like it was such a fucking waste of time it was so dumb um really bad performances i did actually like uh, elizabeth um uh uh, Berkeley was in it. She played like this kind of like Jesus loving character. She was kind of fun. So it's kind of fun to see her in a movie. So um, I think she's in a new show coming out by the weekend. So I hope she kind of gets like a little bit of a career boost because I know showgirls kind of ruined her career. So I'd love to see her kind of get her, get her due, but yeah, Estarco, not good. Um, (laughs) And to end things really quick, I watched the Netflix movie, the volcano, which you mentioned the volcano rescue Mm. from Wakari. This one's about a volcanic island in New Zealand. White, which, white Island, yeah. Yeah, White Island, and a bunch of tourists were there. There was something like 70 tourists there, this island. And then it's, uh, you know, really bad timing, folks, because the volcano erupted. And it sort of tells the story about what happened to the people involved. Um, I actually like this one. For a do- Netflix documentary, it was visually really good. I thought the story was engaging. It was, you know, time-wise worked well. I really liked it. I actually found the movie almost a little bit exploitative because I found out this incident happened in December 2019. And presumably this movie was made in like 2020, 2021. Um, a lot of the characters involved still feel like they're, you know, they're still not really over what happened. Like there's yeah. this young couple that just got married and they're there and like they're still like actively in pain and are like, yeah, our relationship, we have our good days and our bad days. And I'm kind of like, man, I feel really bad for you. Like I, I almost kind of felt like it needed a little bit more time or space away from the people involved because some of them are still like, yeah, this literally happened like a, a year ago. It. Like it feels like it felt, but at the same time, because it was so proximal, it felt like so like, it, you know, you could really feel that connection. And like, you're seeing characters that are actively wounded by what happened, talking about the lead up to this event. And you're like, it kind of builds that dread. And man, what a terrible story. After watching that, I'm never going to a fucking active <laughs> volcano ever. Well, I th- I think... I'm going to play the odds, right? I'm not going to do it. I think George R. R. Martin had made a joke too. He's like, uh, 
when he's in New Zealand, he's like, well, if I don't finish my book by the time I'm here, you can put me on that island with the acid lake and and not leave me off. But I mean, obviously, he didn't finish the book then yeah. either. So <laughs> see you on White Island, George. <laughs> Maybe put him on an island when that happened would have given him a little bit of urgency to fucking finish the book or something. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, uh, I mean, it's a poor taste. But anyways, uh, that's 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 all to say. That's what I watched this week. We'll talk more about what we watch next week. Let's talk uh, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of give some background before we get into the meat of it. Um, Halloween five, when it came out, kind of a dud, didn't do so well critically. And even by commercial standards, it didn't do so well either. Um, So the series was a little bit on ice for like a good five years. Uh, Mustafa Akkad, who of course at this point was the guy behind Halloween. um, He wasn't a fan of Halloween five and he felt like it kind of went way too far away from what Halloween four was, which is sort of like more of a traditional Halloween, like Miles Myers Myers slasher and wanted to kind of come back to the the table with something a little bit better, you know, something less like weird and Euro horror, like Halloween five. So um, enter screenwriter, screenwriter, Daniel Ferens, who wrote the script of this film. He actually spent a lot of time. He was like kind of like a Halloween super fan. And he actually came to the producers with like this giant Bible that he spent researching the Halloween films in the Halloween universe. He, he wrote out every single character with all their connections and relationships. And he was a kind of a Halloween obsessive. And so he wrote this script he presented it. He he impressed the producers so much. They decided, you know what? We're going to have you involved. You're going to be the writer of this story. And so he kind of got involved in this and he was the one who really kind of, you know, really focused on the idea of like the, the, the I guess the temple of Thorn or this kind of weird cults, which are actually in the last movie, but barely there's like the ending. And then the, you see the guy in black a couple of times, but that's about it. There's not really much to do with the movie, but this no, one would focus way more on that. It's quite convoluted, com- convoluted, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And during this time, of course, um, Dimension Films, which is a part of Miramax, they actually bought the rights to Halloween. So they would release this one and the final two ones before the most recent reboot series. So um, this one had a long development cycle. There had actually been other scripts involved. Um, there was like a Halloween 666 script and and notably Quentin Tarantino actually approached the producers with his idea of a Halloween movie with his script, which would basically be involve uh, the man in black and Michael Myers uh, leaving Haddonfield together and kind of involve this series of murders down route 66. And, uh, he didn't obviously get involved in this, but he took a script and basically rewrote it and pitched it as natural born killers to Miramax. It's kind of fun to the same studio. So it's kind of fun to think that the Halloween six was almost a Quentin Tarantino written joint. But uh, <laughs> and even the man himself, the God King himself, John Carpenter, he was also involved early on to possibly come back to the series to direct this film. And he wanted to do his idea was to do Halloween in space. So he was going to do Michael Myers on a space station. Um, which is funny for many reasons, notably, obviously, Jason X. This It's kind of hard not to think that maybe that idea was stolen and used for Jason X. But also, the 80s was a time where everyone was doing, like, let's take the horror guys and put them in space. It was like, or 80, 80s and 90s. It's like, yeah, Hellraiser the gre- the gre- in space. The gremlin. Yeah, Leprechaun in space. Let's put Jason in space. Let's put everyone in fucking space. So, um, And notably, you know, considering, like, Ghosts of Mars, clearly John Carpenter wanted to do more of, like, a sci-fi style movie. So, um they obviously didn't want him involved. They're like, you know, fuck off. We're not going to do this at all. Um, uh, but kind of funny that this, the plot of that basically became Jason X. And so uh, <laughs> Daniel Ferrance wrote kind of a new screenplay. Um, 
and they got more they decided they also the idea was to bring back kind of like old characters to the story so we have enter emerging talents paul steven rudd as tommy uh, doyle this, he was a young boy from the original movie he's here in this one kind of living in this like halfway house he's obviously very disturbed by what had happened in haddonfield and he's kind of this weird conspiracy guy with like the classic he has like the board with all the ropes attaching all the like and the, all the newspaper articles everywhere, the classic trope of the kind of conspiracy obsessive. And so he's, uh, you know, Paul Rudd, I think this was actually his first role. He's credited as Paul Stephen Rudd, too. He's a little baby in this one. And so he's playing Tommy Doyle, and it kind of more focuses on the idea of Tommy um, living in, this, in the neighborhood from the original Strode house. And even some of the names and stuff reference characters from the original. So we have in this one, John and Deborah Strode who of course referenced John Carpenter and Deborah Hill from the original movie. And uh, we get some characters coming back. So we have uh, uh, Dr. Loomis is back. This was actually, I think Donald Pleasant's last movie. I think this actually came out uh, posthumously yeah, after he had I died. Think it's, it's dedicated to him too, isn't yeah, it? Cause, cause he, he looks quite early. He looks on quite old. He looks quite older from the jump. He's you know quite frail. Yeah. Like he yeah. looks like he's all grandfatherly. <laughs> he's, he looks like he's aged like at least 10 years since the last movie. And mm. I, I notably like, I think he was in the seventies, but Donald Pleasance had kind of severe health problems. He had struggled with like alcoholism and stuff. So he looks very, very feeble in this, but I actually like, he's, he, he's got some skin grafts. So his burn marks are all gone too. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's looking better shape in that regard. I actually kind of liked him a lot in this movie. He has more of a grandfather quality. It reminded me yeah. more of like the Loomis from the first movie rather than the crazy unhinged Loomis in part five. Who's like, yeah. tell me where Michael is and shaking fucking <laughs> Jamie around. I actually like the him kid. It blows, it blows up. <laughs> he's a more yeah. quiet contemplative like Loomis. And I think it kind of works well with the movie. It's like, you know, it's decades later and you know, time has gone on and everyone's getting older and more wilted, but Michael's still around. And Michael Myers is looking buffer than ever. He's like seven foot tall. He could be a starting He's got some rock for star the hair Pistons. poking out. Yeah. Um, you know, H- Halloween four and five. I like I like the fact that Michael feels very ethereal. He's like almost like on the periphery of shots, and he's always kind of looming in from the shadows. In this one, Michael Myers is literally Jason. Like he's literally walking around fucking stabbing people, cracking skulls, snapping necks, and he's jacked to shit. Like, he's a big-ass Michael in this one. And uh, we also get the character of Jamie Lloyd back, although Daniel Harris is not playing Jamie Lloyd in this one. Um, Apparently, she had wanted to come back, and um, they cheaped out on her contract. They didn't want to, like, sign her for the contract, so she kind of was a little bit sour grapes because of that, but... um, which kind of sucks because I think like it would have been cool to have her back at the same time. uh, The film is kind of like, yo, you like Jamie from the last two movies, a little girl. Well, fuck you. Cause we're going to fucking murder her in the most (laughs) gruesome fucking way ever. (laughs) She, she gets like fucking stabbed through the torso with like a drill turned on. It's pretty gnarly. I was actually pretty disturbed by it. Uh, I was like, Oh, little Jamie. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, this film, just to kind of give a synopsis, it kind of focuses on taking place in, um, you know, following the events of Halloween five, you know, at the end of that movie, uh, Michael Myers and Jamie were kind of approached by the men in black. And so this one jumps, I think it's now Halloween uh, 1995. So it's, you know, like almost six years later. And this girl, um, I guess she's still, I guess she's supposed to be a teenager. I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this, but she's pregnant. So Jamie, the character, Jamie Lloyd, she's going to this hospital and it's seems very disturbing. She's screaming in pain. It's very scary. And, um, She's being actually pursued, uh, turns out, by um, not only Michael Myers, but like the man in the men in black, these druids. So there's this like paranormal component. They leave this like mark of thorn around when people die or or that sort of thing. But um, 
uh, one of the nurses helps Jamie escape, uh, but Michael kills her. And then Michael tries to flee after Jamie. Meanwhile, you know, Dr. Loomis, he's retired. He's living his best life. He's had a rough go. He's kind of living outside of town. Um, who has some connections with kind of Smith Grove and, and town and they want to kind of bring Loomis back, but he's kind of, you know, he's like, I'm out of the game. You know, I'm retired. It's kind of like a Rambo two kind of style plot development. He's like, I'm out of it. I don't want to get involved. But when Loomis hears Jamie's plea for help, he decides to kind of get back involved. And Michael actually fucking kills Jamie. It's really fucking scary. Like <laughs> I was actually shocked by it that he, that such an important character, a young child character from the last two films is so, uh murdered in like a pretty brutal way and but the the big thing is that michael's trying to get to this kid um i guess to kill the child or something or the child's going to be sacrificed for some spell i don't know but yeah, who knows um, what they're doing with that kid <laughs> but the kid is hidden away and this is of course when tommy doyle gets involved because he's obsessed with finding out about michael myers and he ends up um, crossing paths with these characters and he ends up actually taking the baby so he ends up with the baby so now michael's also trying to kind of come after him too um he's there's a there's a dysfunctional family living in the michael myers house they're all relatives of the strode family and it's a pretty fucked up family they're the dad's abusive he's like hitting his daughter kara and um though there's a kind of a mother who's almost like a, a laura palmer's mom or something she's like obviously really traumatized but really can't has no agency to do anything and uh she has like a siblings as well too and so michael of course is now um trying to kind of he's involved and also the man in black is also involved with uh, Danny the young child with the Strodes he's kind of like kind of grooming this kid almost to kind of become like Michael Myers and so um, the film really focuses on these characters and so there's also like a like a radio host and stuff this this movie is batshit like I thought the if you the last two like uh Hollywood movies were batshit this one is even more batshit like I thought this one was so fucking you got crazy. like Tommy Tommy Doyle like Paul R or young Paul Rudd like he's kind of like the sexy Boo Radley like staring at his window yeah. and then <laughs> And he gets all social as the movie goes on, you know, it's like, what? yeah, they play him off of this creepy loader and he's like pretty affable. Like, I don't know, like he seems pretty well kept for a, for a shut in. And, uh, I thought actually, I kind of like Paul Rudd's character in this. It's weird because I'm so used to Paul Rudd as a comedic actor that scene, yeah. him playing kind of a serious playing it straight role. Um, it's hard he not looks, to see. The he looks quite there. immortal too. He looks like the same as he does now. Like I think maybe uh, he's the one who's immortal, not not Michael Myers. <laughs> maybe he's involved with the the cult of Thorn. Yeah, or he's the head of the cult leader. <laughs> yeah, the Black Thorn, the cult of Thorn. I have no idea what they're supposed to be called. Um, but anyways, there's this cult involved, and maybe he's involved with it because uh, yeah, God, he never ages. But um, I did, I do want to say I did enjoy um this movie, but I want to say as well too, this film had a lot of fucking issues when it was oh yeah. Produced. Um, notably there was actually a whole series of reshoots there was actually also an alternate ending as well too the original ending um well the ending of this one of course kind of happens off screen where like the movie kind of ends they've escaped michael yeah, myers is, ambiguous michael myers was the shit beaten out of him and i'm like thank god because no one ever wants to do that like michael myers this movie earlier gets kind of knocked down and she's like come on danny step over michael i'm like yo literally stab him in the eye like make sure he's fucking dead and <laughs> Later in the movie, after Michael Myers goes sicko mode in a hospital and kills everyone, it's almost like a the Doctor Octopus in Spider Man Two, where he's like killing all the scientists or whatever. It's it's kind of <laughs> like that. Like it's all a bunch of like quick cut, quick cuts. And um, Michael Myers, uh, Tommy actually like injects Michael with this like stuff to knock him out, and then like beats the fucking shit out of him with a pipe. I was like, thank God, someone had the good, good <laughs> sense the balls to step up to <laughs> literally do that. And, now and, put, throw uh, him in the shredder before he comes back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But later, when they kind of pass by, when Loomis comes in, 
Michael Myers mask is gone. And then we hear the movie ends with Loomis screaming, which I mean, they had to kind of do because Donald Pleasance had died during production. So they had to kind of the way they did, did the scenes was very disjointed, but um, it's filmed in a way that's kind of ambiguous. Is Michael Myers actually gone? Is this even real? Is that him screaming at the end? It's um, it's sort of leaves the fates kind of unknown a little bit, uh, which is not unexpected, but um, this, there was actually an original ending where uh, the curse was passed on to Loomis from Michael Myers, but when it was shot for test audiences, they hated it. So it all got reshot. And at this point, uh, Daniel, Donald Pleasant had died. So they're like, well, we have to reshoot it. We have no <laughs> Donald Pleasant. So how the fuck are we going to do this? Um, there had been a lot of bad edits as well in post-production. The movie has a much more, I would call it like a dimension sheen. Like it's not quite scream, but it has a kind of quick, flashy MTV style. A lot of scenes of people screaming, almost like Laura Palmer style, like, ah, like head shaking and, the beginning is a lot of screaming. The movie intro is just straight up screaming. And I'm like turning my volume down. I'm like, this is a very abrasive way to start the movie. But uh, um, notably, this is interesting because this movie came out as a theatrical cut. But years later, they released a uh, producer's cut, which I've heard from people that the producer's cut is actually a better movie. I don't have you seen the alternate cut of this movie? Or, no, I, no? I, I just watched it online. So I, I didn't see it. No. Yeah. So this one, this one was released in 95. Once again, critics didn't like this movie. Box office wise did marginally better, but um, it's kind of gotten a better reputation since then, mostly because I think a lot of these Halloween sequels, people have kind of grown to appreciate them a little bit more. And also, again, because there was this alternate producer's cut, the producer's cut not only, you know, does alternate endings and does some additional scene editing, it actually um, edits the score. So this one has a lot of kind of like more like industrial rock kind of score. The producers kind of introduces the original kind of Halloween um, orchestral score kind of back into the movie with the synths and stuff like that. So it's, it even has like a little bit more of a, of a, of a thrilling tone. Um, so the producers cut was first screened at the new Beverly in 2013 and then later given a proper release um, in 2014 on Blu-ray. So you can now, if you, if you buy the, uh, the shout factory, I believe Halloween six release, it actually comes where I think they just released a box set with all of the dimension studios films. It comes with the producers cut. So you can watch it that way. Um, I actually, I, I, I could, I could see why people like this movie. There's a, there's a decent crowd of people who like this movie. They think it's very optimal. They like how kind of disturbing it is. They like the fact that this came out, you know, it's like a mid nineties artifact just before scream. It's kind of the last of its kind before scream came and kind of kicked the door in and changed slashes forever yeah i found this it doesn't movie, it doesn't it doesn't really know what it wants to be but there's a lot of yeah. cool ideas floating. i around, found this you know? movie i've warmed up to it since i watched last night but i found this movie yeah very disjointed i totally it's such a bleak movie like it's so disturbing yeah. even compared, Jamie. it makes <laughs> halloween four and five look like pg movies in comparison and like, you don't you don't even have the kind of uh conclusiveness of the other films no. too at the end you know you just i mean there's that in the first halloween movie but you know like loomis isn't screaming at the end you know and you don't know what's happening to him and what a what a send off for like that legendary kind of doctor. Yeah, it kind of just ends. It's like okay, we're at the hospital, and then yeah, then Michael Myers gets beaten up by Paul Rudd, and then oh, he's maybe gone, and then Loomis kind of gets turfed. They yeah. really like I like Loomis in it as a performance, but he doesn't get used very well again because you yeah, know, because of the production troubles, he's not really used very well. And God, Michael Myers is literally Jason. Like I, I liked it for that regard. I love the Friday the Thirteenth, so I was kind of like, this is the most. I, I, if I had to watch it's any the of these most movies Jason friends, movies. <laughs> I might throw this one on because it's such a fucking killer slasher movie that I feel like kind of anyone can kind of get into if they're not totally squeamish. But man, is it a brutal and mean movie. Like the fact that Jamie gets killed in like the most fucking horrible way with like, 
it almost i was like a watching terrifier like it was that bad yeah like, this is brutal like this is almost like terrifier style like torture porn slasher movie like it was pretty pretty rough but at that point i did like the fact that it was did play michael as this kind of really hulking presence and michael is just like he's literally pulling the jason and teleporting and shit like he's just everywhere like he he's chasing after people he's not running but he's just like seemingly can just not be stopped he's he's not like this periphery shadow figure that just kind of emerges like the michael in those movies is periphery but he also feels a little bit more human like he feels like someone that would live on your street like he feels like an average person and this one he's he's he feels like uh he's like rejected like you know wwe like superstar because he's so jacked in this and he's such a presence but um overall i thought the movie was fine i i wasn't the biggest fan of this and to me i if how how would you rank this compared to i guess four and five because those three movies kind of work as their own kind of kind of story sort of yeah i didn't i didn't like this one i thought it was more convoluted too especially if you haven't watched the pre- previous ones yeah i mean I, I felt like this one was a lot darker too compared to the other two too because i mean you had the child too and even though you had those like scenes where michael was in the child's room and that was quite traumatizing but like i don't know just like they didn't really they kind of threw it all into the shredder you know like when they killed jamie and i was like well that's pretty brutal than two you know so mm-hmm. yeah i guess uh, you can watch it on its own it does make more sense within that trilogy i think but i did enjoy the four and five a little bit marginally more i think what do you yeah. think uh, me me as well i, I like i like four and five a lot of actually I'm, i was a big fan of five and five i think is probably the one that people like the least out of all these movies but to me five was the most interesting one because it felt so different visually it's almost like a mm. euro horror with almost like very little gore like it's kind of gory like it's violent but it's 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 it feels compared to this one that one feels like pg and i also really like tina i'm a tina defender so i like tina's character <laughs> i wasn't that into character in this one she felt a little bit too it, yeah. it, the movie almost becomes almost like an ensemble film because i think you're so focused on like jamie in the beginning and her being this like pregnant woman with a baby running away like it's very captivating and i felt like if they had just focused on her it would have been a better movie but she gets killed and it's you know shocking and disturbing it's kind of a an echo from the previous movie where um jamie's uh her her uh i guess uh her her sister is killed off in the beginning of that movie and i can't remember her name but when she's killed off it's pretty shocking because you think she's going to be like the final girl and that's this movie again and it was kind of a callback to that but it, the rest of the characters didn't really do it for me i did like seeing paul rudd you know it was great to see him <laughs> I, when he's there's a scene where he's like um there was a scene where he's like on computer or whatever and i was almost like expecting like uh like i was expecting i don't know if you've seen like the tim and eric where paul rudd's like on the computer yeah. he's like play the celery man and he starts like yeah i was expecting <laughs> him to pull a computer and do the song uh it was it was pretty goofy like i, I thought it was um um I, I didn't really like really connect with a lot of the characters to be honest but i did like yeah. loomis and i really wish loomis had donald pleasance yeah. had lived well, to be more involved in this because i liked his role in this as more of a yeah. grandfatherly world weary loomis and not the screaming lunatic carrying around a desert eagle fucking Lewis, yeah. uh, like the other movies. <laughs> with, that, with that with that like gun he had in the last one yeah i i find like no matter how movie bad the movies get donald pleasance always kind of makes the films a little bit better or tolerable yeah. for me uh so i mean i didn't like this movie that much but um i mean it's, it's no it's not as bad as halloween kills i guess but like, well, i mean what is what is <laughs> maybe the new texas chainsaw re- re- remake but, <laughs> but but yeah i mean yeah he, he was a lot more I like this this Loomis a bit more too. He seems kind of grandfatherly too, and down to earth too. And you could tell he's not doing so well. But I mean, just yeah, it would have been interesting to see him in H two O. But I mean, I guess 
that's a different story yeah. altogether. <laughs> the kid had huge eyes this Danny. I don't know who the actor who plays him is, but that kid had like some massive eyes. He was almost <laughs> like the kid from the Sixth Sense. Like he just had big blue Disney character eyes, very, very expressive, but mm. kind of just used more as like a prop. He doesn't really have much character, yeah. this, unfortunately. The performance was kind of a, a middling, but I guess we could just get into our, our score. So what did you give Halloween the curse of Michael Myers? Yeah, so as I said, I I didn't dislike it as much as uh, Halloween as Halloween Kills, but mm-hmm. this one I gave two out of five. Uh, I I didn't like it. Uh, it was nice to see uh, Paul Rudd, like young Paul Rudd, especially his interactions with uh, Doctor Loomis. But a lot of the characters I didn't really connect with. I thought it was like kind of a really nasty send off for Jamie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just the plot really didn't make sense to. I really wanted to like it. I li- I liked a lot of the set pieces and the gore and stuff. And I like this kind of Jason, or sorry, not Jason, Michael Myers. Uh, uh incarnation but yeah it just it didn't work for me and uh kind of a weird way to end the trilogy too so two out of five for me what did you give it well i was a little bit more positive i gave it three out of five but to me it's still probably the weakest of the three movies Mm. i'm i'm a pretty big fan of four and five i was actually pleasantly surprised by them and to me i was really kind of turned off by how again how brutal this movie is how kind of i just really didn't like most of the characters again we have like the tommy doyle loomis part of it and i kind of wish it more focused on them because they're the old characters from the last movies and they have more of a connection. I found the Strode family in this to be kind of hit or miss. The fact that like the family was so like the dad was such a fucking abusive prick. Like oh, you just yeah, know who was, was going to get killed. You're like, oh yeah. He's uh, when, he get got, when he got like electrified, I was like, good fucking riddance. Like, yeah. But like, you goodbye, knew who was going to die. You're like, okay, he's going to die. Yeah. And Michael Myers is a fucking kill count in this movie. Like, I think like, I want to say like at least 15 people get killed by him. Like he's just nonstop killing machine. Um, Yeah. The decisions with uh, Jamie's character in this movie, very, um, weird decisions to have her killed off in a very brutal way i thought it was very odd um the editing of this mill movie it was just visually kind of looked like mud i wasn't really that into mm. it i felt like the last movie visually had a lot more interesting stuff going on and even the way it plays with its characters like having tina be so involved and being this kind of surprising heroine in the last movie i really connected with that more i didn't find anyone to really connect with in this movie mm. Kara was okay i could give less of a shit of danny strode little boy i was like whatever let him, <laughs> let him wander into the house like a fucking idiot and like uh, whatever i just couldn't care um but i did think the idea of having like a hulking jason Voorhees michael was a very spirited decision um really yeah. kind of fun to see that, that especially that, considering that was... the later halloweens like the rob zombie ones where he's yeah. kind of this more hulking it's kind of like an early instance of that so that's kind of fun well it's kind of i did like that kind of scene where he gets that beat down from paul rudd that was pretty good <laughs> yeah where the point where it's like green is like coming out of his head he's like again he's like a zombie almost like he's been shot millions of times stabbed yeah, i guess he is like a zombie he's like he's one. like fry, jason Voorhees and like Jason takes Manhattan basically because <laughs> yeah. watch out for the toxic waste, man. <laughs> yeah, they should have just went down into the sewer system in New York City where every <laughs> night at 10 p.m. they release 30 tons of hydrochloric acid to just melt it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing if that that red shirt was there, or else they would have died. Dude. Yeah, don't don't swim in the Hudson River, folks. Not good. You're gonna you're gonna see a fish with four eyes. Alligators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so overall, yeah, 2.5. We didn't like this one as much, but I will say again, there is an audience of people. I went on Letterbox. I was shocked, shocked. I tell you because so many of my follow that followings. They all love this movie. There's a lot of four or five stars. People like this fucking movie. And I think a lot of it is because if you're of a certain generation, if you're, you know, in your mid 30s to early 40s, like a lot of the people I follow in Letterboxd are, this was your Halloween. Like when you grew up, this was the one you saw in the theater when you were in high school. This was your shit. I was a little bit too young for this one. I didn't watch this one growing up. I didn't watch any of these. So these were all new to me. I didn't connect with it. But if you grew up with this movie, maybe you connect with it more. And I will, I, I do want to check out the producer's cut and see if it's a better movie because 
I thought this one was okay, but I'd be interested to see a movie, um, a much different style of what this movie could have been. So yeah, 2.5, but I would say if you like these movies, definitely watch it at the very least. Um, and I would, I would say as, as recommended, maybe check out the producer's cut instead. You might like that one a little bit more. Um, so that pretty much wraps it up. I guess Halloween, there are additional dimension nineties, two thousand sequels. Um, I think there's Halloween H2O. Not not a water movie. I always thought as a kid, oh H2O, <laughs> it's like Halloween water world. No, it's not it has nothing to do with water. They thought they're being clever. <laughs> um and there's Halloween um resurrection. resurrection. Yeah. Yes, resurrection. I, I watched that as a kid. I watched that one. That's the one I feel like that one might might hold up interestingly because it involves like a webcam series. Ja, ja Rule like, like, wants to fight him or something. I think oh it's Buster Rhymes, I think. Buster Rhymes, yeah. Yeah, Buster Rhymes goes uh sicko mode on Jason or not Jason, God, <laughs> Michael Myers. Might as well be fucking Jason in these. Yeah, movies, pretty but. much the same thing. But uh I don't know. H2O, if we'll do an Jason, episode on you know. each of those, or if we'll maybe we'll just do like a double feature because I don't know if I could stomach another a movie worse no. than this one. I, I might, yeah, might be pretty bad. So maybe we'll do like a double feature on both of them and see what we think. Um, but we do have some fun stuff. So starting next week, we're going to be kicking off our really Scott watch series. So we're going to be doing a little intro, talking a little bit about really Scott as a director, uh, his kind of like origin story, and then getting into his first film, Duelists, which I've never seen before comes highly rated has a great cast harvey keitel is in it as well really want to check that one out and then we're gonna go through the rest of the year talking his movies and i mean really scott really started his career with a bang you know he got the duelist and he got i think blade runner right after that and then yeah, alien, alien and, yeah and you had a lot of great stuff that started off his career so gonna be fun to talk those movies uh we're gonna have some other stuff coming up we're gonna be doing some more canon films we got some stuff that we want to talk about and we're also going to be doing uh more special topics and also got some milestone movies coming up so within a few weeks is the 80th anniversary of of casablanca so we're going to do an episode talking casablanca one of my favorite movies very maybe excited some king to kong too maybe some and king, king kong. kong i might even label it as my canon because i love the original king kong it's one of my favorite movies so that's a, and it holds up through folks if you watch 1933 king kong right now you'll love it it's a great movie it's still great um so we got a lot of stuff coming up and uh i guess that about, about wraps it up anything you want to mention uh curtis before we uh <laughs> Uh, no, I'll be doing Rolling Thunder, which is uh, one of Tarantino's top picks too. So that would oh, be nice. kind of a fun one. It's about a uh, that's for my next canon pick, and it's about a uh, um, Vietnam War vet coming back home, and uh, he gets his arm put in the Gerberator, <laughs> and then he he teams up with a young Tommy Lee Jones and decides to get revenge in this like Mexican villa, and it's such a great movie. I love it, so I'm nice. excited to talk about it. <laughs> Nice. I guess before we wrap, I'll also mention in the show notes, I always post the timestamps, but I also post the links to our stuff. So you can check out Curtis's website on there. You can check out my letterbox accounts. I'm also going to be posting my top watches of the year. I almost did a podcast on it. I recorded a full podcast and it was terrible. I just felt I was so out of it. I was like, I listened to it. I'm like, this is garbage. I made so many mistakes. I I'm not, I tossed it. So I might do it or I might just write it up. I don't oh, you know. should do it. You should do it. Yeah, I just I, I listened to it and I literally like I said a director's name wrong and I was like, wow, this is terrible. I'm like, I can't I can't do this shit. So I might <laughs> I might drunk. record it or I might just fucking write it out. But either way, I'm gonna be doing my summary list of what I was gonna do is do my favorite TV that I watched, my 10 favorite first time watch films, and my 10 favorite 2022 new films. So a little bit shorter than past ones, but that way I'll be able to just write about the good stuff because there's a lot of stuff and some of it just kind of gets you know, lost in time. So uh, that might, might come soon and also listen to my other podcast, Domestic Pints Only. Um, and give us on, on our podcast that you're listening to right now, if you're on Apple Podcast, give us five stars. We appreciate any ratings, comments, stuff like that. 
does something it boosts the algorithm it makes it like more likely that some yeah. random person will listen to one of our episodes and that could potentially draw in new listeners I, i've had a few people that i follow on litterbox actually listen to our pod because of uh, stuff that i've i usually put up the reviews and i tag i put the link to the pod episode and so gotten a few listeners from that so if you if you if you listen because you found me on Letterboxd, feel free to reach out. We'd love to have some guests on as well too that love. We love to have someone on to talk about a movie they really love because that's the best discussion when you have someone be like, this is my favorite movie. I can talk about it for hours. Here's what I think about it. That makes for really fun content. So if you're interested in coming on for a movie, let us know. And uh, yeah, I guess that wraps things up. Uh, welcome to 2023 folks. A new year, new podcast. Lots Excited. of movies. <laughs> a lot of movies. We, we've, we haven't even fucking done Citizen Kane yet. There's there's too many movies out there, folks. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> maybe we'll never even get to it. Who knows? But maybe someday. So uh, that's all to say. Stay spooky. We'll see you all again soon. Take care, everyone. Take care.